Hey guys, uh, my name is Brennan Alexander. I am going to be teaching the fuel class for the next few weeks as we're kind of meeting virtually, digitally. And just kind of a couple quick things about myself. Um, I've grown up here at North Boulevard uh, almost my entire life. Um, I'm born and raised. If any of you, anybody that goes here, if you know Miss Michelle on the children's wing, that's my mama. Love her very much. Um, I've got a dad and a sister too that I love a ton. I've got a dog named Jeb. I've got a cat that doesn't really have a name. Um, we just kind of call him Cat and point at him, but he's great too. Um, I spent seven years working with a program called Camp Shiloh. That's a summer camp for kids out of the South Bronx and Bridgeport, Connecticut and underserved neighborhoods in the New York and Connecticut area. That's kind of where my heart is and where my passion is. Um, I'm currently a graduate student at MTSU, hopefully finishing a master's degree in December. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully. Um, I am also an English and Bible teacher at Middle Tennessee Christian here in town, and I coach football and track there. So that's a little bit about me. You may not have wanted to know, but here we are. So I've got the next few weeks with y'all to discuss a few things. And as I kind of sat down and I prayed and I researched and I talked, um, I think it's fair to assume that right now is a very difficult time in our world. Um, there's a lot of frustration. There's a lot of, there's a lot of confusion. And something I have found myself saying and something that I've seen a lot of other people saying is, um, where is God gone? Um, I, felt, I thought there was this connection between us. I thought that he was going to protect us from this. I thought he would keep, this, you know, keep us from this. And I don't, you know, I've lost that connection. I'm not feeling that connection anymore. And so kind of what I wanted to delve into a little bit is what that history and what that connection with God has looked like all the way throughout the Bible. Um, there's been a few pretty repetitive patterns that I want to talk, with, talk about. And over the next few weeks, I kind of want to touch in the Old Testament. I want to touch in the New Testament. But I want us to look at places where people have had direct or indirect encounters with God, how they approached them, how they handled them, and what the results of those encounters were. So... What better place to start than in the beginning? So today, we're going to jump into the book of Genesis a little bit. Now, please don't worry, guys. I know the creation story. Um, in the beginning, God made the, the seas and the forest filled with trees, made the hippo and it weighed a ton, all of that. I know you've heard it. I know you've heard it. But I want to delve into some more kind of in-depth things about the relationship with us and about the relationship with, um, with God that you find there. So... You dive in to Genesis chapter 1, and we get this depiction of God speaking the universe into being. We get, let there be light. He forms land. He forms the seas. He forms the skies. He begins to form animals and the plants of the earth. And then in verse 26, on the sixth day, then God said, let us make man in our own image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. And so God created man in his own image, and he created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. So day six, creation was seven days, right? Six days, and on the seventh day, God rested. Man was God's finishing touch for the earth and for the world. God said, I've made this. It's beautiful. It's perfect. There's one more thing it needs, man. And I feel like that's something that we kind of overlook a lot of times. Um, you know, when you get caught up in the creation of the universe over six days using nothing but speech, there's a lot of, you know, awesomeness and wow that you might kind of get overwhelmed in the details just a little bit. But God has made all these beautiful and amazing things. And it is not until he makes man that he says, this is right. This is good. This is 
how I want it to be, I can rest. So the other thing he says there is let us make it in our own image and our own likeness. This is one of the first big things I want to point out. In our connection with God, we are made to be like God. We live in a world where time and time again, we are told, follow your heart, follow your, you know, what the world says, follow what the latest Instagram influencer, whatever that whole world is, follow that, follow all these things to be when the reality is we were made to be like God, specifically designed, specifically created with that in mind. And that is a beautiful, incredible thing. He didn't make us just to be another part of the earth. He didn't make us just to be another animal, another plant. He made us to be an extension of Him on earth. And not only were we to be an extension of Him, you know, in our intents and our mindsets, we were placed in charge of this big, huge, beautiful thing that He's created. This thing that God has poured all of His effort and time and energy and best efforts. He says, I need somebody to take care of this. And that was us. When I was a teenager, guys, my parents wouldn't leave me in charge of the house because they were worried of what would have happened. That was a house. God put us in charge of the infinite um, life and the infinite needs of the entire world. That's a kind of heavy responsibility. And it's something that we've struggled with. Um, But it says that at the end of that, in verse 28, God blessed them. He said, be fruitful, multiply, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And so God not only makes us, He blesses us. And He says, you're going to do incredible things. I am going to use you as an extension of me, and we're going to do incredible things in this world. Which at its root is what God wants from us, pretty well all of the time. God's focus isn't to you know, take away the fun, take away the enjoyment in life. His focus is to do something that fulfills us in Him to care for His world, to care for His works, and to be blessed. And as long as we can hold that balance, we have God's blessing. So, we keep going. And God says, look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, for every creature that crawls on the earth. Everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. So we move into chapter 2. And this is the place where we're a little bit more specific about God creating man and woman. Um, You know, when they're going through the general creation story, they tell us that God made them. But now we kind of get into the details. It says, starting in verse 7, that the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and the man became a living being. This is another place that shows that we are an extension of God. We are not a separate thing. We are a part of his body. His breath is in our lungs. His life is in our body. That's not something we stumbled upon. It's not something that happened by accident. God intentionally put part of himself into us. And so it says that, Picking up in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and he placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God's made boundaries. First place in the Bible that we see this. 
Up until this point, it has been all of this is yours, everything is yours. But along with that gift, now God gives man a responsibility. He tells them, you can eat anything you want in the garden, but there's this one tree and you need to leave it alone. I know you're going to want it. I know you're interested in it, but that's the one thing I need you to do. And it's this beautiful handmade garden. In, in my mind, I'm like, okay, God, got it. Cool. I get to live in paradise, beautiful trees, beautiful fruit. Beautiful, you know, you've made this beautiful woman for me. Sure. Whatever, whatever you need me to do. Leave that tree alone. Cool. I'll, I leave trees alone every single day. I feel like I can handle that, right? And so God has placed us, placed man by hand into this garden. But so he gives this first restriction, this first boundary. And here we go. This is one of the first interactions with God and man. And this is where we're going to start seeing the beginning of a little bit of a cycle where God says, I have given you all these incredible things. All I'm asking is you don't do this. So what does man do? So in chapter three, the serpent approaches Eve in one of the most famous encounters in the Bible. And he tempts her, and this is very important to pay attention to. He says to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden. And this is one of the most important things to pay attention to. Um, David Skidmore, my youth minister, has always made a huge deal out of that phrase, did God really say? Temptation very rarely takes the form of a direct pull, of somebody saying, hey, you know that's good? <clears throat> we're gonna go do bad. That's kind, we're gonna go be cruel. Um, that's helpful, um, we're gonna go be apathetic. That's not really the way it goes. People don't directly come out and say, God didn't know what he's talking about. They come out and say, you misunderstood what God said. And if you've ever really paid attention to the Bible, God's pretty explicit most of the time in what he wants and what he thinks. But we as people try really, really hard to find that gray space, to find that space between the lines and to be able to argue that maybe God didn't really mean what he said he meant. And so Eve says, no, you know, we're allowed to eat any fruit. We just can't touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so the serpent jumps in her ear and he says, no, you will certainly not die. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Then woman's, the woman saw the tree was good for fruit and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So first off, fellas, I need to stop you right now before you say it. Yes, it was a woman that took the fruit, but Adam was standing right there and didn't do a thing. We are just as guilty. It's just as much on us. We need to put that argument to bed. He was there the entire time, watched the entire thing. It says that um, her, her husband, who was with her, he made no move, made no effort to stop this thing. We are just as culpable. Let's lay that one to rest. Moving forward, this is a place where people decide for the first time that they want to be smarter than God. And furthermore, they think they know how to be smarter than God. And this sets up a pattern that we're going to see for a while through the Bible, through the next few weeks, of somebody deciding, I know that God said this, but I think if I do this, it's going to work out better. And even more so in this situation, if I do this, I'm going to be as, as intelligent, as powerful, or even better than God. Now, hang on. This is a man that 
and a woman that were there when God literally created the universe. They watched this being speak this incredible universe and world into existence. And yet they think they have an opportunity to know more and to know better than he does. And I say that and it sounds ludicrous, right? You're going, they were there the whole time. They should know how great God was. You know, God even walked in the garden with them. They knew God on a very, very personal and direct level. The thought, any thought of knowing better than him or being more knowledgeable than him or being stronger than him just seems absurd, right? But we do it every day in our world. We constantly look into the book and say, okay, God says, I need to love the people around me. Well, maybe that just means the people in this neighborhood, not that other neighborhood. God says that I need to abstain from some things. Well, maybe he just meant most of the time, not all of the time. God said that I am called to love on all people. But maybe that just means people like me. People that look like me. People that think like me. Those other people, I, they're, they're out of it. It's equally as absurd to think that we know better than the creator of the universe. To think that in any context or way, we could wrap our heads around something on a greater level than he can. And so they've made this move. They decide we're going to do something because we think we're smarter than God. We think we know better than God. And so it says they took the fruit and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Both of their eyes were opened, and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Which, First off, that's hilarious. Are you, like, I've been in trouble a lot in my life, and there's been a lot of times where I thought I could get away with, you know, maybe if I go in my room and shut the door and I'm really, really, really quiet... Mom won't notice that broken picture frame sitting in the living room. Maybe if I go into the living room and put that blanket over my head and cover up, mom won't notice that test with an F on the, on the uh, counter that I have to get signed to take back to school the next day. You know, that's the thought of a, you know, a six-year-old, which I guess technically, they're technically, you know, a couple of years old at this point. They're pretty new. But just that's absurd that I couldn't get away with it, you know, with my, my parents. They're trying to do it with God of maybe if I just, you know, if we go over here and we crouch down and we're really, really quiet, you know that guy that made all of this and made the trees and made the world and made everything? Maybe he won't notice us. Got to admire the effort. And so it says, God called out to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And I don't know if that's the way that reads, but I definitely read it as, a, you know, a four-year-old giving his parents bad news very, very quickly because they're scared and they just want to get it all out. You know, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. And so God asked him, who told you you were naked? I didn't burden you with that. You weren't supposed to worry about that. And he says, wait, did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? This is the beginning of a consequence. This is the beginning of man saying, I know more than God. And God saying, sorry, no, you don't. Let's figure this thing out. And my favorite thing is immediately the man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. So the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, well, well the serpent deceived me, so I ate it. We inherently don't like taking responsibility and don't like taking the blame. We inherently want to take any aspect of um, culpability and we want to put it somewhere else. 
Adam does not waste a second throwing Eve under that bus. And likewise, Eve does the exact same thing with the serpent. And that carries forward, you know, all the way up. You know, God, I, I, I didn't want to sin, but that TV show I watched made me do it. Uh, God, I, I, I didn't want to lie, but my friend made me do it. God, I didn't want to, I just, I, I wanted to be nice to those people, but the people around me weren't. And so I, I just had to do what they were doing. We love to pass off responsibility elsewhere. And again, you're going to see as we keep going, this is a pattern of men. As we continue through the Bible, time and time and time again, we mess up and God asks us to own it. And we try really, really hard to do anything we can to not. And so, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly, eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. He said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You will bear children with painful effort. Your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Now I want to circle back to a couple of things really quickly. Honestly, I'm not that worried about you know a snake being cursed. I don't know if that has a ton to do in our spiritual life, but I do think it's important to it's important to point out that spiritually snakes are cursed by God. They're evil, horrible things. It's okay to be afraid of them. That's fine. But furthermore, he gives the, the consequence to the woman. And then he goes on to the man and he says, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. For you are dust and you will return to dust. There's a couple of important things here. First off, any notion of being able to pass blame off of somebody else is dispelled in the third chapter of the Bible of God ever accepting that that's okay to say that, well, somebody else made me do it. Um, he says pretty directly, you, you know, Maybe she did it, but you listened to her. Likewise to the woman. Maybe the serpent told you to, but you chose to do it. God does hold us culpable and does hold us responsible for our actions. And so it says that, you know, the man, the ground is cursed because you eat from it by means of painful labor and it will produce thorns and thistles for you. We had a chance to live in a beautiful paradise garden of a world and instead we chose to challenge God. Instead we chose to believe that we were more intelligent. And as such, God says, okay, you're going to struggle. This is one of the biggest difficulties I have with new Christians is they say that, you know, what kind of God allows struggle? What kind of God allows strife? What kind of God let my dad die when I was a teenager? What kind of God took my grandfather from me? What kind of God let my mom get kicked out of our house? What kind of God made my dad leave my mom? Who would allow that? And I think it's important to point back to these situations because God does not force those things upon us, but he allows us to receive natural consequences for our decisions, for our actions. I could spend the time arguing on it for a long time, but I don't personally, and this is the book of Brennan, I don't personally believe that God created evil. I believe there is an absence of God in situations, and that's what allows for evil to occur. But it says, going on, that the Lord God said, Since the man has tried to become like one of us, knowing good and evil, he must not reach out, take from the tree of life, eat and live forever. So the Lord sent him away to the garden, from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. 
He drove the man out and stationed the cherubim and flaming whirling sword east of the Garden of Eden to guard the way of the tree of life. So what I want you to take away from this. First, we are God's most sacred creation. God built an incredible, beautiful, amazing world, but it wasn't done until he created us. God didn't just make another piece, another part. God created an extension of himself, placed that in us, and sent us onto this earth. God has given us boundaries since the beginning of time. This is something that I know in every faith, including my own, we struggle with. Um, especially in modern Christianity, it's very good to get all we are, we are the world and God loves everybody no matter what. And that, you know, as long as you, as long as you know he's there and you talk to him every now and then, then you're good, you're covered. Doesn't all that other stuff in that book, all that other stuff that Jesus said, all that other stuff in the Ten Commandments, eh, try, but it's not that important. And we see from the jump that's not the case. God has boundaries for us that he expects to be held. And furthermore, there are consequences when they are not honored. Finally, we want to know more than God. That is a time, literally since the beginning of time concept. As people, we want to know more than God. But as you read the entire Bible, you find that we don't. So what does that leave us? The challenge to trust Him, to trust His Word, to get in the book, to see what He says. In a time where there is a lot of hatred and a lot of anger, there is a loving God that wants you to extend your love and extend your hand to your neighbors and say, hey, there's a better way. Let me show you. I'm going to say a quick prayer really quick, and then I'm going to get out of here. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, and yeah, let's bow. Um, God, we thank you so much for this world. We thank you so much for your beautiful creation. We thank you so much for your breath that lives in our lungs. Um, God, we just ask that you have your hands on the state of the world right now, God, as there's just so much anger and so much violence and so much pain, God, that um, you allow for people to feel love, people to feel healing, for people to open their eyes, God, and to see that as we've tried so hard to take you out of this world, that nothing good has come from that, God. And we just ask that, um, that your love flood this, flood this earth, God, and that you continue to guide us through. Um, we thank you so much, and it's in your son's name. Amen.